Amen. I wonder how many times I Surrender All has been sung in this sanctuary over the years. And many of you have sung that song, you know, 50 times, maybe 100 times, maybe even 1,000 times. Looking at Carlton Carter back there, maybe 1,000 times for Carlton. But it never gets easy, does it, to say, I surrender all. It's something that we have to do daily, daily, to say, I surrender everything. My mind, my body, my soul, my time, my talent, my treasure, my ambitions, my family, everything. I surrender to the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wonderfully uh, beautiful thing to do, but never an easy thing to do because we are prone towards selfish narcissism. And so what a beautiful sentiment uh, the hymn writers give us there to express, I surrender all. Thank you, Evan, for leading us so well this morning. Appreciate, yeah, appreciate you and our, our worship team. I heard that, you know, so many people are out sick and, and with the, the weather being so crazy, um, I, you know, the kids have a time of worship every Sunday as well, and they, you know, different worship leaders rotate through that process, but this morning, Rachel played guitar and actually led worship downstairs, so I'm sure that was uh, great for the kids, but it's wonderful to have utility athletes like our staff, and in this town, I mean, I know every youth minister has to know like three chords and be able to play guitar, but Evan is so much uh, more than just a three-chord uh, youth pastor. I'm so grateful for his abilities and how he has led us thus far, and I appreciate his wonderful message as we introduce uh, Galatians last week. Uh, pretty funny how you started out last week. If you turn with me to Isaiah this morning, <laughs> no, just kidding. We are in the book of Galatians, finally, in the, the, the last part of your book. You see here this Bible that was, I think this Bible was presented by Dr. Sherman a long time ago, but uh, it's, it's open to Galatians now in the last part of our Bible, the New Testament, finally, where we get to some, some good gospel meat. If you've been craving that, I pray that over the next two and a half months that you are satisfied with richness of Galatians. Evan was right. Galatians is a bit like Paul uh, telling the kids, hey, I told you, stop it. I told you, this is not what, what Christianity is about. You're missing the heart of the matter. You've reverted to something other than that which I originally taught you. And he's, he's amazed, those first nine verses. He says, I'm astonished at how quickly you have abandoned the heart of the matter. You've, you've already forgotten the key part of this whole Christian message. You've already neglected to remember what the core of Christianity is all about. Because you've taken on a yoke of slavery and legalism again after you've heard the gospel. And the gospel is supposed to be good news. It's supposed to be good news. I heard a podcast recently where the pastor asked, how many times have you left church? And the application that you took away from that morning was, man, I got to try harder. Man, I got to be better. Man, I got, I got a lot of work to do. Man, I, I really am, am beating myself up over what I heard today. If you've left church and felt that way, then, then we worship leaders have failed to have a gospel-centered worship service. Because what you should be hearing in a Christian church is good news. 
What you should be taking away as you leave each morning is good news. Because if we really believe in our heart of hearts that God, the almighty God of the universe, has created a way for us to come to know him and to be with him and to be made right with him both now and forever. And it's, it's completely separate from our own ability to be right, or should I say our inability to be right. If we truly believe that God has done that and that we can know him and be part of his family now through no merit of our own, then we should leave here rejoicing each week, saying praise God that he's done this for us so that we can come to be with him. John Piper has a great little book called God is the Gospel. The good news is God himself it's not only what he's done for us in Jesus, if you go back further, it's God himself, that he is love, that his essence is love, and that he's made a way for us to be part of that love. Evan mentioned resolutions. I'm sure a lot of you, like me, every year make some resolutions about what you want to do in 2022. Nothing wrong with that, but... Our culture is so bent on this idea that grit and determination, as Evan said last week, are the keys to success, that we get so focused, spinning our wheels, trying to be better, that we so often neglect the heart of the matter. What about, what about when, we, when we don't succeed? What happens when we fail? Are we doomed when our resolutions fail? Have we lost all hope? Is our life ruined? No, because ultimately what matters most doesn't depend on us. It depends on God and he never fails. He is always faithful. He has done what we could never have done for ourselves. Namely, he has made a way for us to be made whole and right now and forever. Nothing we ever do could blow that. And he will keep that secure, the Bible tells us, until all is finished, which means we can never fall too far. We can never make him too angry. We can never disappoint him so severely that it compromises the deal. We can never force God to turn his back on us. And that is good news. And if we have that good news, why are we so prone as, as humans in our fleshly flesh to live as though we only have bad news? We tend to live as people who only have bad news. And what we're going to see in our text for today is the way in which we live speaks volumes about what we really believe to be right and good and true. The way we live speaks volumes about what we believe good news actually is. The way in which we live speaks volumes about what we believe good news actually is. Paul's speaking in Galatians to these poor, deluded, misled people who are confused and he uses his own life often in his writings as proof of the gospel. 
He's holding up his life as an example of how the gospel transforms and changes everything. And the best example that he can give them of the, the truth of the, the gospel, of the outworking of the gospel, is the example of his own life. And that's true for you and me as well. Our own lives speak volumes about what we believe. I heard a preacher once say that, that when you go out to eat on Sunday after church, if here in the Bible Belt, like a lot of us, if you're dressed kind of nicely and you go to a restaurant, you don't have to worry about telling your server about Jesus. You know, used to be all these evangelistic things that you'd say, okay, what are the three points you're gonna tell your server at lunch about the gospel? Well, you don't have to worry about that because the way in which you behave the way in which you ask for food or water, the way in which you tip, all of that is speaking to your server about Jesus. The question isn't whether you're gonna tell your server about Jesus. If you go to a restaurant in Green Hills today after church and you're dressed kind of like me, your server is gonna assume that you're a Christian, that you've been in church. So the question isn't, are you telling your server about Jesus? The question is, what are you saying about Jesus? What are you telling your server by the way you act, by the way you treat your spouse, your kids, your friends, the way that you tip? All those things are speaking volumes about who Jesus is. And again, you may say, oh, I gotta try harder and do better. That's not the point. I'm not trying to make you feel bad or, 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 or try to do better, but only to realize that we have this good news that the world desperately needs. There's so much bad news out there. I get overwhelmed. And I have to remind myself of the gospel and preach the gospel to myself. We have good news that changes us from stingy, cranky, exhausted people by the world, miserly people. It changes us into people who cheerfully share hope, who share good news, who cheerfully tip, who cheerfully give, who... who enlighten other people, who brighten other people's days by the inner peace, by the inner joy, by the inner love that we have through Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is stop trying to be such an impressive person, such a knowledgeable person, such a successful person, such an attractive person, such a good person, and allow the transforming grace, undeserved favor, undeserved merit that comes to us through Jesus Christ, allow that grace to transform us like it did the Apostle Paul. So let's read for our, today our text, Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 through 24. If you would stand in honor of God's word while we read our text for today, Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 through 24. Hear now the word of the Lord. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. 
And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he used to persecute us and is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. You know, I love sports. I, I love watching sports. I love playing sports. Although when I turned 40, it was like, you can't play sports so much anymore. You're going to pay a price when you play sports. It's going to hurt when you play sports. Uh, I, I say that. I know Bill played tennis into his, you know, 80s. Uh, a very good tennis player and, and Vita and uh, many of you others to put me to shame. But it's interesting in sports, there's something called muscle memory. Have you heard of this before? Muscle memory. I think about basketball is what I played the most of. You know, when, when, Seth, when Steph Curry catches a ball on the three-point line, he doesn't just throw it towards the basket. He doesn't think, I'm going to fling this ball towards the basket and hope it goes in. He, he has taken millions, probably, of jump shots in his life. And when he catches the ball on the three-point line, he doesn't have to think it through. His body naturally gets into a squared up position. His elbow goes in, his dominant hand goes under the ball, and his knees bend, and his whole body extends all at the same time as he releases that ball and flicks his wrist all in one fluid motion. And the ball spins effortlessly backwards as it arcs towards the goal and more often than not goes in. It's muscle memory from years of practice and doing it over and over again. When a golfer hits a golf ball, they don't think, how do I get my arms to move this club quickly? They don't think about it. They just get up and they hit the ball. On the range, maybe they think about some things, but when they're really playing golf, they try to clear their minds and just do what their muscles know to do. The Christian life, I think, is, is best lived when it becomes second nature, when it becomes muscle memory when you've, you've lived it so repetitively that you don't have to think about it consciously, but it becomes who you are. You've heard that term second nature? That's the idea here, that it becomes second nature. A, a quarterback, when they take that snap, they don't have to think, how do I get this ball to spiral when I throw it down the field? They don't have to think about that. They just do what their muscles know to do, and the ball sails. That's how loving God and loving people and making disciples ought to work. 
It's not just something you learn in a class. It's not something that you get a degree in. It's not a certificate on your wall. The Christian life isn't lived by following a manual. The heart of the matter is actually believing in your heart of hearts that the pure, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. That you really believe that who God is and what he's done is good news. Such good news that it changes everything. Your priorities, your focus, and most of all, your heart's affection and your mind's attention. In my doctoral work, I was exposed to the work of a Christian philosopher named James K.A. Smith. You know when you have a lot of initials, you're really smart. That's, that's how that works, if you have a lot of initials in your name. He's got a great little book that's a condensed version of the books that I wrote my dissertation on. It's a book for lay people called You Are What You Love. You Are What You Love. It's based on the, the, the thinking and writing of the scriptures, but also of St. Augustine, and in this book, Smith quotes from The Little Prince by Antoine uh, de Saint-Exupéry a few times. He says this in The Little Prince, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them task and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. If you want to build a ship, don't get people together in supplies and assign tasks cast a vision for the sea and how awesome the endless immensity of the sea is. That's kind of what Paul is doing here by showing the Galatians not the mechanics of the gospel, but how a life transformed by the gospel looks to show them what their own lives could be and what they ought to be when the real gospel transforms them from the inside out. He's, he's proving that you are actually what you love. And when you love the gospel, the real gospel, not this legalistic mumbo jumbo, but when you believe the real gospel, it, it transforms things into this flourishing that God created us to be. I think it was Louis Giglio who said, your actions authenticate your allegiance. Your actions authenticate your allegiance. James Smith would say it works both ways that your actions form your allegiance, that your habits become your character and your character becomes your destiny. The things you do with your body, with your time, with your resources, shape what you love. It directs your affections into a certain direction. Part of being here today, I pray that every time you attend church, that your heart is oriented towards Jesus Christ a little bit more that you come to love him a little bit more. That happens both ways. Your actions authenticate your allegiance and your allegiance, your actions form your allegiance as well. So what do we really love? What we're gonna see today in our outline is that we chase what we love, we resemble what we chase. You chase what you love and you resemble what you chase. In Paul's defense of his gospel, God's gospel, he confronts the Galatians with the truth of his own life, and that leads them to really five key comparisons that Paul's life confronts the Galatians with, but also confronts us with today. He's asking, what is it that you really love? What do you love more? 
And he's, he's showing a comparison between two different things in our lives that we all are tempted to love one over the other. So first, we're asked really in this passage, what do we love more, pleasing people or pleasing God? What do we love more? Do we love pleasing people or do we love pleasing God more? Look at verse 10 again. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let me tell you, as a, as a minister, we get critiqued all the time. And I love to hear people say, hey, pastor, great sermon today. You know why I love to hear that? Because I'm egotistical and prideful <laughs> and fallen. You know what's better than great sermon today? Is, is your sermon made me love God more. I, I am closer to the Lord because of your sermon. I want to be a servant of Christ, not a servant of my own ego. My own ego doesn't get me anywhere good. It might make me feel good for a minute, but in the end, it will always let me down. I love to hear people say, I like your jacket. I like your shoes. It makes me feel good. That's fine. Compliments are fine. I'm not saying don't compliment, okay? I still need that, my fragile ego. But I'm also saying what's more important than our fragile egos and having people like us and, and think well of us is having God think well of us. You know, I, this whole pandemic thing, man, it's been tough on everybody, on everybody. Now, I don't wanna whine about preachers and, and, and church workers, okay? But I'm gonna do it for a second. Uh, whatever we do with masks, you know, you, somebody wears a mask and someone looks at you like, oh, you're one of those. And then you don't wear a mask and people look at you like, oh, you're one of those. You know, it's like you can't win. And I get emails from people saying, how dare you endanger the lives of our senior adults by having church open? And then I get emails, how dare you bow down to the government and have people wear a mask? And I'm like, look, I've turned it over to the deacons. We're following our polity and our bylaws and our deacons are deciding things and our advisory team is giving good scientific advice and we're doing the best we can. We're all doing the best we can. And here's the thing, we're not trying to please people, we're trying to please God. So the, the question I'm asking is, what shows we love God? What shows that we love our neighbor? What shows that we're making disciples? That's what matters. That's what's going to please God more than anything else. I was having a, a talk with a Christian friend of mine who's a member of this church, and I said, I'm terrified of this conversation. I forgot what it was about. I said, I'm terrified of having to have this conversation or preaching something or, or something like that. And he said, hey, man, there's only one that you should be terrified of. Just reminded me, you're not trying to please people. You're trying to please God. Only one whose opinion really matters. And here's the thing, young people too, okay? I have a son who's in middle school, and middle school, middle schoolers are very perceptive of what others think of them, aren't they? And here's the sad thing. A lot of adults never progress from that. They still think so much of what others think about them. Especially in a town like Nashville, I've seen a lot of young adults make a shipwreck of their lives trying to be cool, trying to be authentic, trying for people to see them as authentic, which is really sad. Not only is it sad, it's dangerous. It leads them so far from the things of God and from pleasing God. They're so focused on pleasing others and impressing others. 
It ruins marriages. Morgan told me about a couple recently who is struggling in their marriage because one spouse is so concerned about what other people think and the other one's not as concerned and they're unequally yoked because of it, right? Because people are so concerned with what other people think. Social media has only exacerbated that. The coolest people I know are those people who are in their 80s and 90s and they just don't care. They're done trying to impress you. They don't care what you think. There's a guy in our church who opened up for Leonard Skinner. He's formed a band in college and he opened for Leonard Skinner. He owns his own record label, all these cool things. And he just doesn't care what you think of him. You might think, oh, he's kind of goofy or whatever. He doesn't care. He loves God. He loves his wife. He loves his kids and he loves his church. And the rest, you know, you can think of him whatever you want to think of him. That's the coolest thing, I think, to me, is people who don't really, they're not really trying to impress people, they're trying to impress God. That's too much on the first point, but you see that I'm passionate about it. I think it really matters and that it ruins lives. You see that the Galatians, too, they had these Judaizers who were coming in who were trying to impress the Jewish establishment in Jerusalem. They're trying to please all these religious elites in Jerusalem, saying, look, we're making Jewish converts out of these pagan Gentiles up in Galatia. And they're like, wow, very good. They're like, yeah, we get to be the leaders of our own religious sect as well as impress all these people in Jerusalem. But meanwhile, they're harnessing people to a yoke of legalism and slavery when Jesus came to set them free. Let's don't fall for a false gospel that settles for that. We got to keep going. We got four more points to get to. Okay, the second question that we're confronted with in, in this example of Paul's life is whether we love human knowledge more or divine revelation more. Today in our life group, we talked about how the Magi at Epiphany, right? On January 6th, we celebrated Epiphany. How the Magi, they just followed this star. It was a divine revelation to them. It wasn't any part of their training. They just saw that they felt led by the Lord to go and seek out the newborn Messiah. Look at these uh, people in Paul's life. You know, how many of you had a saintly grandmother or grandfather who may not have gone to college at all, may not have graduated high school, but they had more wisdom in their little finger than most of these scholars around here who are making a mess of their lives, right? It's not about human knowledge. It's about this divine revelation that's life-giving and ends up leading you to love God more. Look at verses 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, but I, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Evan made the great point last week how Paul's authority was not derived from being a, a trainee of Rabbi Gamaliel, one of the most respected rabbis in the world, but his authority was derived from having an encounter with the risen Christ on the way to Damascus when his eyes were, were blinded by the Lord and how this is not some message that he heard on talk radio. This is not some idea that he picked up on some obscure website. This is not some epiphany that he had even from searching the Hebrew scriptures. But, but he was literally blind and now he sees Scales literally fell from his eyes after three days of wrestling in the darkness with the truth of the gospel. 
He literally saw Jesus and was never the same. Therefore, his message wasn't the result of hiring a consultant and spending 12 weeks with a committee brainstorming. This was a message from Jesus directly to him, and we would do well to pay attention to it. The third question that we're asked to consider through Paul's testimony is, do we love our personal tribe more, or do we love God's family more? You see this with, obviously, in our world today, political affiliations, social circles, and even churches, even specific bodies of Christ. But what starts out as our tribe can quickly devolve into tribalism. We're quick to point out tribalism in others, but we're really slow to recognize that tendency in ourselves. Because it's hard to reach across barriers of ethnicity, of socioeconomic class, of political uh, convictions, and perhaps most of all for me, theological convictions. Judy Wu Dominic, a Christian writer and musician, pointed out how tribalism creates rigid dichotomies. Our tribe is loyal. Theirs is seditious. We are complex. They are simple-minded. Our camp is orthodox. Theirs is heretical. We are good. They are evil. But look how Paul crossed all these barriers to prioritize all of those that God has called to be part of his family. Look at verses 13 through 17 again. For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my own people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Paul, after this life-changing encounter with the risen Lord, didn't go straight to Jerusalem and, and try to be trained first. He felt compelled to leave the Judaism that he'd grown up in, the traditions of his fathers that he was advancing in. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was a Jewish elite, and he had his own very clear tribe of people, and he left it all behind to go into the uncomfortable, unknown, pagan world of Arabia for three years and preach the gospel there. He crossed all kinds of cultural, ethnic, socioeconomic lines to go to this people that he felt the Lord had sent him to to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and advance God's kingdom among people outside of his own tribe. We do well to, to, to see people as beloved children of God, all people as beloved children of God, who are called by God to be our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, sons and daughters of the one true king. The fourth question we're confronted with in this passage is whether we're chasing after fame power and authority, or simply seeking a place of humble service? Are we chasing after fame, power, and authority, or are we simply seeking a place of humble service? This is very countercultural, but Paul's life 
shows this example beautifully. He was immensely gifted. Paul was brilliant. He was climbing the ranks of leadership in Judaism. He was well-trained. He was talented, and he was zealous. And here's the thing. None of that ended when he became a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. He was still brilliant. He was still zealous, but it all got redirected. He could have then become this, uh, again, ladder-climbing Christian. He could have become the pastor of First Baptist Church Jerusalem. He could have been the most impressive Christian leader of them all, but that was not what he did. Look at verses 18 to 23. After three years preaching the gospel in Arabia, he went back to Damascus. Then he finally went up to Jerusalem. Everything goes up to Jerusalem because it's on a hill. To visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remain with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. If he was going to go to Jerusalem and hobnob with the apostles, hey, I'm one of you guys too. I got called by Jesus too. I've seen Jesus just like you guys did. Let's take over the church now. And he's going to rub shoulders with all the Christian uh, leaders in Jerusalem. That's not his focus. After three years of preaching the gospel in Arabia, he finally comes to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles. He does a two-week intensive with Peter, who was in Jesus' inner circle, he finally consults with James, who was not one of the original apostles, but who became a leader in the church in Jerusalem. We know from the, the history of Acts. And then he goes on to Syria and Cilicia, away from the Jewish region that he would be more comfortable in and where all the power and influence and authority were. He didn't care about that stuff. He was a nobody in the respectable places he only wanted to see the kingdom of God advance, to see light come to dark places. Therefore, he humbly served. We can use all of our resources for something greater than ourselves by humbly serving and believing that we are not the issue. The issue is the gospel, the heart of the matter. Finally, the fifth thing that we see in, in verse 24 is how Paul confronts us with the question of whether we love our own glory or do we love the glory of God more? Verse 24 is really short. It says, they glorified God because of me. Even in places where he was unknown, these Judean churches, he said, they didn't know me in person. I'd never been there. I never hung out in those places. But they knew that I was once the zealous persecutor of Christ and of Christianity and of Christians. And now... I'm a major proponent. My whole life is about advancing the gospel in the most unknown places. And when they heard these things, they gave God glory. They didn't say, wow, isn't Paul amazing? Isn't he impressive? They said, isn't God amazing? Isn't God impressive? You know, we're quick to give praise to people and we love to get praise, but when we are seeking our own praise, we're in a dangerous place. A healthy place to be is when we only seek to reflect 
the glory of God. What is it? Be the moon, right, Calvin? Be the moon. Be the moon, not the sun. Jesus is the sun. You just be the moon, the one who reflects the light of the true sun to the rest of the world. Seek to be the moon because you cannot be the sun. So where are your affections pointed today? Where are your loves focused? Do you love to please people or do you love to please God? Let's show that outline one more time. Let's just kind of review it. Do you love to please people or do you love to please God? Do you love human knowledge? I love Jeopardy. You know why I love Jeopardy? It makes me feel smart. I like to show off. <laughs> That's why I love Jeopardy. It's pride. Do I love human knowledge more or do I spend time in my prayer closet asking God to show me the things of him? Divine revelation. Do we love our own personal tribe in which we feel safe? It's called an echo chamber. We hear the things we want to hear in our own personal tribe or are we willing to step out and cross cultural bounds to seek God's family because we love God's family more and God's family is every nation, tribe, and tongue. Four, do we love fame and power and authority? Are we trying to be an influencer? Do we only care about how many likes our posts get, how many followers we have, or are we seeking a place of humble service? I'm telling you, if you're a church member here, I, I pray that you would serve the Lord inside these walls and outside these walls. Where can you get involved? We're going to have a video at the end of the month that, that shows some places where you can dive in and not only be poured into, but pour out into others. As soon as Bill and Vita joined the church, they said, where can we serve? Plug us in. Bill's teaching a Bible study on uh, uh, January 20th, uh, Thursday, for uh, anyone that wants to come. Uh, you're all welcome to come. He's already trying to say, where can I be of service to the church? I love that. Love that. Five, are, do we love our own glory or do we love God's glory more? Are we content with being the moon instead of the sun? Are we content to just reflect God's glory or is it all about us? These are hard things. And again, I don't want you to leave here saying, oh man, I got a lot of work to do. That's not the point. The point is that a life that is transformed by the gospel transforms our loves into the things of God. And, and that's a better way to live and flourish and thrive as God would have us to. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your good news. We thank you that you are good news, that you are such excellent love in yourself, that you are, are such infinite glory and beauty and perfection, and that you give us yourself through the work and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that it changes who we are from the inside out. Lord, we pray that you would redirect our hearts' affections and our minds' attention onto the things that are of you because we know those things are life-giving and good and lead to flourishing. May we be more convinced today of your goodness than we ever have been before. May we believe more deeply that the gospel is good news than we ever have before. May we run into a world full of bad news, holding deep in our heart of hearts the truth of the gospel, the good news that is not dependent on our circumstances or on our own ability or performance, but is kept 
whole for us by your perfect sovereign grace. Lord, we love you. We pray all this in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. I know a lot of you here are just exhausted. It's been a, a really difficult, you know, eight days. I was talking to someone here. How was your Christmas? They said, it was pretty crazy. We, we had COVID in our family and ended up having to borrow a car and drive from Texas to Nashville and quarantine and separate. And, I, I, you know, we're just so tired. I get it. Maybe today that you, you, you realize you've, you've never really surrendered all to the Lord. We sang that song earlier. Maybe today you're, you're ready to say, I want to surrender. I want to rest. I want Jesus to be my peace. We read that in Life Group today, right? Lee Ellen and Micah 5, how Jesus is, and Matthew too, Jesus is our peace. No, it's Micah 5. The, the, the Messiah is our peace. Maybe today that's what you need. And you say, I'm ready to surrender all. We're going to have a time of response now, and I'm going to be here. If you want to talk about surrendering all to Jesus, I would love to talk to you about that. Maybe you've never been baptized as a symbol of your death to yourself and resurrection into a whole new life with Jesus. Maybe you're ready to do what Doyle Franklin did a year or two ago and follow that example of believer's baptism. Maybe you're ready to join Woodmont Baptist Church and you say, I'm in. I want to be a part. I want to find a place of humble service here where the Lord can use me wherever it may be, all by God's grace and for his glory. Whatever it is that you need to do during this response time today, deal with the Lord honestly in your heart as we stand and sing our hymn of response.